Welcome to a Tuesday edition of Locked On NBA. On today's show, we'll recap the Warriors' Game 7 win over the Rockets during their fourth straight trip to the NBA Finals. Then we'll talk about what happens to the Rockets this summer before previewing the NBA Finals matchup between the Cavs and Warriors. It's Locked On NBA. Thank you so much for listening and for subscribing. Now let's get to the show. You are Locked On the NBA part of the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm a credentialed writer covering the NBA for The Step Back. You can find me on Twitter at WC Goldberg. And I'm David Ramil, a credentialed NBA writer who's covered the league at large for SB Nation. Fansided, you can follow me and my writing on Twitter at DRamil13. With the Warriors beating the Rockets in Houston in Game 7, we'll preview the fourth consecutive NBA Finals matchup between the Cavs and the Warriors. Then talk about what's next for the Rockets. But let's start with that game, David. The Warriors went into Houston for a highly anticipated Game 7, beat the Rockets 101-92, to but things didn't start out all that well for Golden State. They trailed Houston 54-43 to after a sloppy first half, but they came out in the third quarter, specifically Kevin Durant and Steph Curry, and did what the Warriors do in the third quarter and took control of that game. It was... Pretty much a game that played, I think you pointed this out on Twitter during the game itself, uh, uh, the kind of pace that lent itself to the Warriors' style of play where they could basically take their foot off their gas and then just choose to do so when it's most comfortable for them, usually in the third quarter, and they could all of a sudden take a deficit and turn it into a lead. Uh, it was a sloppy game, I think, for both teams. Uh, I don't think the Warriors played particularly well until they just all of a sudden started hitting those incredible shots in the third quarter. It wasn't the very nicest or you know the most aesthetically pleasing game of basketball, but at the same time, it played into what the Warriors wanted to do. And of course, with Houston being somewhat shorthanded with Chris Paul uh, nursing that hamstring injury, uh, not a lot of depth on their on their roster right now. Uh, they they went to a very strange rotation there where they they gave some minutes to Joe Johnson, who hasn't played much in the playoffs. Uh, Ryan Anderson came off the bench for the first time in an eternity. And so all these guys finally started getting some minutes because with the lack of Chris Paul out there, with his absence, uh, it was hard for Houston to generate anything consistently. They were still able to look pretty, well, I wouldn't say dominant, but at least they were able to establish an early lead because they capitalized on on Golden State's sloppiness. But Golden State is just unfortunately too good, and they were able to take it up a notch in the third quarter. I thought the Rockets, you know, they just had so much more control over the game in that first quarter and, and for most of the second quarter because there there was a point, I believe, where they had more offensive rebounds than Golden State had defensive rebounds. Yeah, they Chris, were just – P.J. Tucker was yeah. – Capella was killing it on the boards. P.J. Tucker was battling yeah. guys like Kevin Durant and, and Draymond Green out of position. And, and between getting the offensive rebounds and second-chance possessions and then the turnovers, stealing possessions from the Warriors and, and generating more possessions for themselves – I thought that was really helpful, especially, you know, for a Houston team that likes to drag the shot clock on, you know, right. with James Harden there. He likes to work for, you know, 10 seconds off the shot clock, just pounding the ball into the floor, trying to get the, the isolation spot that he wants. Uh, so to to generate extra possessions that way with offensive rebounds and turnovers really helped them. And they went into halftime with, again, that 54-43 to lead, an 11-point lead at halftime that was basically obliterated by the Warriors in the third quarter. I mean, Curry scored 11 straight points in that in that third period. Uh, Durant, I think, had had 10 points in the third quarter, like a, a, a quiet 10 points in that third quarter. And there was a, a, a specific run in that quarter that I want to talk about where 
where Mike D'Antoni put Ryan Anderson into the game, and the Warriors, possession after possession, just attacked him in the pick yeah. and roll. And yeah. and during that time where Ryan Anderson was on the floor, the Warriors went on a 14-2 run. And I wonder, there was there was a specific stretch where Curry just hunted him out in three, literally three straight possessions and scored all three possessions. I Did Mike D'Antoni screw up by not calling a timeout and pulling Ryan Anderson earlier? Uh, you know, it's hard to say because some of those shots, it seems like Steph Curry finally started getting to that rhythm. And once he hits those shots, he's virtually unstoppable. So I don't know that it was necessarily – Anderson, clearly not a good defender, probably exploited a little bit in tonight's game. But I'm not sure that it, it really fell on him so much as just Curry hitting shots that he wasn't hitting for most of the game, or especially not in the first half. My, my feeling is, looking at what everybody's concerns are, did the officiating cost use in the game? Did, did James Harden choke, perhaps, a little bit? I mean, he finished the game with 32 points and a, a subpar shooting night, 12 of 29. Two of 13 from three-point range, though. Um, too often looking for a foul call that just wasn't going in his favor. Still a productive night with 32 points, six assists, and six rebounds. But some people looking at it, and, you know, this is a long-established narrative when it comes to Harden. Did he blow the game for Houston, do you think? Or was it something, maybe, was it the officiating, in your opinion? I don't I don't want to even get involved in the officiating. The officiating was kind of goofy both ways. I, I didn't think it was the best officiated game, but I didn't think it really favored any team. Or the other, I thought Houston got a lot of calls, and I thought Golden State got a lot of calls. That's fair. Um, but as far as Harden, I, I, the the thing about James Harden, I don't I don't think he cost them the game, but there is there there might be kind of a ceiling to what it to what it is he can do in these sort of moments because his mode is his like default setting is to try to either get to the rim right. or shoot threes and draw fouls while doing it, and he's a great passer. I mean. He he, uh, he had that one ridiculous drop off pass to I think PJ Tucker like a behind the back or was it Capella, um, and, and he's a genius passer but he doesn't really rely on it as much as a guy as like LeBron James for example right like a LeBron we saw in the Eastern Conference Finals has a lot of different ways where he can beat you right. where Harden really just has that one way and Harden can be a sloppy passer too like there was one time they ran that pick and roll to perfection in the fourth quarter when they were trying to cut. Golden State's lead, and he tried to lob a pass into Capella, who exploited a mismatch against Curry. And Draymond Green was able to break up the pass because he just kind of lobbed it in there with his left hand, really sloppily, slowly, and 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 then they they capitalized on it, and it led to an easy score on the other end for them. The other thing for Houston is that that three-point shooting was just—I mean—they missed twenty-seven straight threes. NBA record in this NBA playoff record. Uh, I Trevor Ariza in particular oh, missed all 12 shots he took, nine of which were three-pointers. Um, you mentioned Harden going two of 13 from three-point range. Eric Gordon, two of 12 yeah. from three-point range. I mean, we going into this, or really the whole story of Maury Ball, right, Daryl Maury, um, is, is to increase the variance portfolio for a basketball team. And this was when, when Daryl Morey is there on his computer, you know, nerding out and gaming out scenarios, this was probably the worst case scenario where Chris Paul gets hurt right. and this team, which relies so much on the three ball, just misses 27 in a row. I mean, you just, I, there was no way they were going to bounce back from that. I, they went 7 of 44 from three-point. I mean, they got as many threes as they wanted to take. We know that D'Antoni wants to take 40 to 50 threes a game. But go, he, they only made seven of those 44. I mean, that is atrocious. It is. Now, I did see the the potential, um, 
idea anyway that maybe the officiating did cause a kind of cascading effect in that because they weren't getting the calls, because momentum started shifting in Golden State's favor, that all of a sudden Houston became less aggressive attacking. This is the second time you brought up the officiating. You feel like the officiating affected this game. I just think it's a big story. I think if people who are favoring Houston or look, looking at the potential, not the potential, the reality now of a four straight matchup between Golden State and Cleveland are saying, what the hell? Houston had as good a chance as any team of upsetting the Warriors, theoretically, and the refs may or may not have cost them the game. So I think from the people listening to this show's perspective, they're seeing the the, the refs control the game to some degree. And I'm seeing. I just again, I don't see how the refs can force a team to miss 27 straight three pointers. Not necessarily. You're absolutely right in that regard. But what I'm saying is that they took more shots than they might have been willing to take normally had they been able to get more foul calls and been more aggressive driving to the hoop. Like they were driving to the hoop early in the first half and then went away from that in the second quarter and third half and third quarter rather because. They were driving, not getting foul calls. Harden, in particular, got fouled on on, on a three point attempt. Remember that he had he, he drew the and one and uh, what was his name? Jeff Foster, uh, you know, or Scott even Foster. if that were Scott Foster, I mean, even if that were the case, I still blame Houston for like. Why would you stop driving like, to the rim? Driving to the rim just because you're not getting the and one calls. You're still getting shots at the rim. Yeah. Even I don't care. I don't. Even if the officiating was bad and they were upset with maybe not getting calls at the rim. Um, I still put the blame on Houston if they just basically gave up on it. Like that, to me, I wanted. I, I wondered if you know Mike D'Antoni has a reputation of playing guys a little too hard and shortening his lineups a little too much in the in the postseason. He basically only played six guys tonight. Yeah, we mm-hmm. got a little bit of Ryan Anderson, a little bit of Joe Johnson uh, here and there, but they Anderson only played eight minutes. Joe Johnson only five. Gerald Green was basically the only reserve off the bench 21 minutes for him and that's kind of been the case for the last few games for Houston especially with Chris Paul out uh, for the last couple did maybe they just got tired at the end I mean driving to the rim is hard and it is just easier to settle for threes sometimes and even when you're doing that if there's if they're that tired maybe their legs aren't completely there and that's why and that's why you end up missing 27 straight threes do you think that there's any legitimacy into D'Antoni being criticized for playing too short of a rotation. Uh, I will say that he played. He should have played one player in particular a little bit more, and that's Capella. Uh, he took him out. He, he had 37 minutes tonight, uh, more than he has for most of the series, but less than any other starter. And it was during that stretch, I think, in the third quarter where he was on the bench, where all of a sudden, again, as you pointed out, Anderson came into the game, and they were able to exploit that defensive matchup there. And again, maybe with Capella in there, it wouldn't have made much of a difference. Curry probably still would have hit those shots. They still probably would have gotten that switch and pick and roll situations where Capella would have been forced to, to defend Curry or somebody else along the perimeter. So it's hard to say. Um, you know, what else can you do? I mean, there wasn't anybody else in that roster that you could go to. Uh, I mean, yeah. Joe Johnson Not wasn't going to be able to contribute. Really. Yeah. It destroyed really everything. And, and Balmute still being hurt, he wasn't able to get into any kind of rhythm. They don't have anybody else in that roster. They're a little top-heavy. You know what? Golden State's a little top-heavy, too, but they just had enough depth there. Even with Clay Thompson getting in early foul trouble, uh, he was able to rest You know, in the most, mm-hmm. for most of the first half, came in and kind of still was able to get things going, finished the game with 19 points uh, in, in only 31 minutes. So... Just you know, Sean Livingston's a lot of uh, uh, twenty-four good minutes off the bench uh, for the Warriors, and then they've had those five guys. Kevon Looney didn't have the best night, but Jordan Bell came in and gave them some really, really good minutes. He didn't score, but he yeah. had five rebounds, three assists, one really between the legs assist to Steph Curry in the corner. He has a nice two-man game with Steph, which is something to watch for in the next series. Uh, and that was kind of the, for for Golden State. You know, they. 
I, I wrote after, I think, game when they lost game five that they had a depth problem, that yes. they only basically had four guys, and Jordan Bell stepped up for them. I thought he was that guy that needed that they needed. They needed one of either Bell, Looney, or Quinn Cook to step up, and Bell did it for them tonight. Um, look, the, Rock, the Rockets dedicated this season to knocking off the Warriors, and they fell short. Uh, we'll talk about what comes next for Houston, but first, quick reminder to make sure that you are subscribed to Locked on NBA to get the podcast every day. Think of it as your bite-sized briefing for the most important stories around the league, and keep it here for daily updates on everything going on in the NBA playoffs and the offseason. So subscribe to Locked On NBA on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app, the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. With the Warriors winning, that means we'll get Cavs Warriors for the fourth year in a row, David, but we'll talk about what to expect from that series next. Uh, But let's go to the, the team that just lost in the Western Conference Finals. The Rockets added Chris Paul last summer, and he played a major part in their success this season. But he's going to be a free agent this summer, which is just one of several questions that general manager Daryl Morey has to answer this offseason, including if they'll be able to re-sign Clint Capella and how they can add to this group to make another run. Uh, Let's start with Paul, David. Do you think that they have to re-sign him? Yes, I think they do. Unless they can find somebody cheaper in the market there, and I, I think they're pretty much kept up. I, look, I think the concern with Chris Paul is that he plays at an all-star level, but at his age, the style of play, the years uh, and mileage that have piled up there, you're going to face something similar next year, and he's going to be asking for a lot of money. So he's getting to that really dangerous territory where he might not necessarily be the greatest value despite the kind of production that he does give you when he's healthy. So there are concerns there. I feel like... He, I, I personally, I wouldn't resign him. I, I think there, really? that, I think that cost is too great, and I don't know that he's necessarily going to be there when you need him most. At this point, they're 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 aiming at a trip to the finals, if not an NBA championship. And I don't know that he'll continue to be healthy uh, at at that point in the season next year. I mean, you're right that they're capped out, and I just I don't see what other option you have. I mean, the reason that you make a trade for Chris Paul as opposed to try to sign him last summer. One of the reasons you do that is that you have it, you, you retain his bird rights and you can go over the cap to bring him back. I think that they've got to bring him back. I just, I would, I'm with you. I would be, I would be very nervous to give him a five-year max and, and Chris Paul being, this isn't somebody who's going to take a, a discount, right? He is president of the players union. He's, that would be a really bad look on his part after being part of negotiating for player salaries to just go out there and, and, and shave money off of his own deal. I don't think that he could politically do that. But um, I think if I'm Houston, I offer maybe a three-year max. And maybe that, maybe that third year and even you know maybe even the second year is looking really bad depending on how bad this uh, hamstring thing is mm-hmm. um, and, and what his durability go, is going forward. But I also think that you just, I don't know what other option you have if you're the Rockets. And they've kind of boxed themselves into this corner here where you kind of have to bring them back. It's not quite the DeMarcus Cousins situation in New Orleans because Chris Paul's like a really valuable player and we're still not sure if DeMarcus Cousins is. But And, and the injury is not nearly what, what Cousins uh, dealt with. But I think they, they kind of are in a situation where they have to bring them back. So here, here's the flip all- side of that. Who else could even afford to sign Paul? Who else would he, would he – I mean, obviously he can still contribute to 29 other yeah. teams other than Houston. I'm sure there are other teams that would love to have a guy like Paul on their roster, but who else can afford to sign a guy like Chris Paul? I mean, maybe the, we're assuming that that market for him will be a little bit more generous than it might actually be. I mean – I think Cleveland would try to go grab him, and, and well, they're going to be and, dealing with the loss of LeBron James. They could use a potential. They could, 
Yeah, I mean, if they if they decide that they want to try to pair him, I'm off the top of my head that those are the teams I'm thinking of. I mean, who knows? Minnesota might try to clear some space and go Ooh, after sign him. and trade. Jeff yeah, Teague. that seems not fair. Um, <laughs> but speak, look, uh, they've got another question that they have to deal with in Clint Capella. He's he's going to be up for a, uh, as a restricted free agent. They'll be able to match any qualifying offer he makes. But we've already heard. Uh, rumors out of phoenix that they're willing to offer him a, a max contract or something at least close to it and if you're houston can you spend all of this money on james Harden, chris paul and clint capella and clint capella great playoff run and a really nice game seven for clint capella right but is he worth investing that much money into that's another question that maury's going to have to figure out is how how valuable is clint capella especially when you look behind him Nene is not capable of starter minutes anymore, and they really don't have any options behind him. It would be a major hole if they lost Clint Capella, but you've also got to wonder what is his value to that team. Yeah, I mean, he's a great regular season player. Uh, you know, he's a guy who was able to exploit matchups early in the playoffs against Utah and Minnesota, where they have more traditional centers. But when they face a team like Golden State, all of a sudden his value decreases because he's just not playing as much because he doesn't have limited offense. He doesn't have much of a repertoire there. He's going to finish what he can at the rim, and that's basically it. He's going to clean up, get rebounds and stuff like that. But he can't spread the floor. Um, he, he can't really do much else other than, than again, shoot at the rim. So uh, maybe you look at Capella and say, yeah, there's potential there, but he's not a playmaker. He's not the kind of center that fits best in today's NBA um, again, maybe. didn't have didn't have the impact against the Warriors that you would hope. I mean, he had a no. nice game seven, but overall wasn't able to dominate the boards on a consistent basis, no, right? No. And yeah. and so I'm I'm with you. I think like you've got to that that seven game series was kind of the sample size for Clint Capella and what he can be for you. He might be a regular season. I mean, they might be better off just kind of plugging in centers, kind of like how the Warriors do, mm-hmm. and just trying to figure it out that way and make some other moves around the rest of that roster to sort of uh, to bolster that group and get them back into it. What other... I mean, they're going to have to create cap space in order to add anybody. And we've already heard, you know, some scuttle about maybe they'll be in the LeBron James or the Kawhi Leonard sweepstakes if that were to be uh, an opportunity for them. Uh, they're going to... They'd have to create cap space somehow to do anything. I mean, it would, you would think it would probably start with trading Ryan Anderson, maybe attaching a few draft picks with him. They don't have their 2018 first-round pick. That goes to Atlanta this summer. But they could maybe attach future picks to him, clear $20 million off the books. Maybe you let Clint Capella walk so you're not tying yourself to that money. And then maybe you can finagle some cap space that way. Um, But do you think that even if they return with a healthy James Harden and a healthy Chris Paul, which is a big if, but let's just say it for hypothetical reasons, what do they need to add to this group, if anything, to to get back to where they were this season? Nothing. Uh, you know, I really think that they're they're as good as they can possibly be, which is unfortunately well short of where Golden State is, and that's the problem. That I don't know that there's any other team that can make a legitimately can legitimately challenge Golden State for a title. Do you move? Do you explore moving Eric Gordon? Because if, Oof, no if your three best players are Chris Paul, James Harden, and Eric Gordon, that's there's a little bit of redundancy there. Do you move him for maybe a wing? Or a different kind of big man who's a little bit more versatile? No, I don't think so. I think you've got an, a, a fine player in Trevor Ariza that can contribute normally under normal circumstances at a pretty high level. He provides good wing defense. He can space the floor. Um, he fits in perfectly. He's won pretty much wherever he's gone. I think he's a solid addition to that team. I wouldn't try to change that up. I don't know that you need to acquire anything else. I mean, look, you get a healthy Mbamute, uh, you get a healthy Chris Paul. 
maybe the series is a little different. And I know, and if you don't miss twenty-seven threes in a row, yeah, I mean, but again, those two guys <laughs> probably would have connected on a couple of those. You know, they probably yeah. would have hit five of those twenty-seven shots, or or maybe they would have done things well, differently. At least maybe Chris, Chris Paul, Paul would have been able to do some stuff in the mid-range yes. and kind of break up the monotony. Of exactly, miss three-pointer after miss three-pointer. Exactly. I'm with you. I think that. You know, the Mbamute injury really hurt, especially because he would have given them one other guy to play Durant more often, right. and right. he wouldn't have had to play. Joe Green had a nice series, uh, yeah. but was not great defensively, so you would have had to play him a little bit less. Um, probably had to play like guys like Ryan Anderson and Joe Johnson, maybe not at all. Right. Um, and you got a guy like Mbamute, who's a, a, a really good perimeter defensive player. And then if you had Chris Paul healthy, who knows? I mean, even if Mbamute wasn't... Uh, wasn't healthy, and they had Chris Paul for these last two games. Houston had two chances to knock off the Warriors and go to the finals here if they had Chris Paul. Who knows? Maybe they could have done it with him being is healthy. This, I think they would have had a the, great chance. You know, uh, one of the narratives that are going to get overlooked, is this the end of seven-time All-Star Joe Johnson's career? Was this the last game that he'll ever play? I hope not. I don't I just see like him being a little back, tweet right? seven-time Joe Johnson. Yeah, somebody I know. He's a good locker room presence. Somebody might bring him back. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If, you're, if you're Houston and you're like – You've got no cap space this summer. I think you offer him the minimum to come back and ride the bench a little bit. Maybe, maybe, maybe we get one more year of, of Joe Johnson on the bat, on the on the end of the Houston bench. Um, let's wrap up the show by previewing Cavs Warriors episode four. But first, don't forget that in addition to the daily Locked On NBA show, the Locked On Podcast Network has a daily show for your favorite NBA team. So go ahead and subscribe to your team's channel on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app by subscribing to both Locked On NBA and your favorite team's show. You'll be covered with everything that you need to know. The Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So for the fourth year in a row, it's Cavs versus Warriors in the NBA Finals. Now last season, the obvious change in this matchup was the addition of Kevin Durant. This season, it's a subtraction of Kyrie Irving. Uh, This is the first time the Warriors are going to see this version of the Cavs. They have not played since that trade deadline where they basically, where the Cavaliers purged half their roster. Um... Let's start with the Kyrie Irving thing here, David. Mm-hmm. How how much are the Cavs going to miss Kyrie's presence in this series? Do we no. fully understand? Yeah, I think it's going to be a huge loss for them. I mean, it's a another capable scorer that can space the floor, that can create off the dribble, that can make plays for others. I mean, it's a huge loss for them. Look, so much relies on LeBron James being able to have dominant games, but you can send multiple defenders to kind of limit what he does. He's probably going to put up numbers – that means that it's going to fall on guys like Kevin Love or Jeff Green or somebody else to try oh, and, God. and peck up. Yeah, well, that's the reality, right? I mean, that's that's this the roster the other, is currently constructed. And the other part of that was you go to last NBA Finals, and there were so many times where you know the Warriors put Kevin Durant or Andre Iguodala on LeBron basically twenty four seven, right? And and Iguodala will be were, back to full strength by the time the series starts on Thursday. And, and when LeBron would get in those situations where he would be stopped by either of them, he was able to just kind of outlet to Kyrie Irving, right. who then was usually on an island maybe with, with Steph Curry, and could take Curry off the dribble and kind of exploit that matchup on, on the offensive end. They don't, I don't even trust George Hill right now or Jordan Clarkson or any of those other guards oh God, to no. exploit Steph Curry. Curry is not that bad of a defender that those guys can kind of take advantage of him. Kyrie Irving is good enough to take advantage of anybody, let alone Steph Curry, but... They are not going to have that. Curry, I, not being able to exploit what Steph can do. I mean, the Rockets made a seven-game series basically out of attacking Steph Curry in pick-and-roll situations. I don't know that the, the Cavaliers even have that option here. 
Uh, maybe as some Utah-based uh, fan might be uh, saying Rodney Hood is finally going to step up for the Cavaliers. Is he still on Cleveland? Yeah, yeah I think he's still, Is he there still? He, he, well, he's he's there uh, physically, if not in spirit. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, so does Le- does LeBron have a chance at all in this series? I mean, at all? You you want to look at his his incredible performance in the postseason? The, the sweep over Toronto, uh, knocking off a really gritty Boston Celtics team, uh, you know, all, all the things he's done, playing all 82 games, the fact that he's LeBron James, that the narrative is shifting somewhat in recognizing that he could possibly be the best NBA player of all time. But you know what? None of that matters. They're not going to win a game against Golden State. Ooh, they're going to get swept. Look, I'll, if LeBron wins this series... He should absolutely be just. He gets the crown as no, greatest ever. If he I mean, wins, if he if they win the series against Golden State, he should just turn into a being of light and get beamed directly <laughs> into the ether. Like I, I mean, I he can transcend this mortal coil if he goes ahead and wins against Golden State. That's not going to happen though. So your early prediction then is they get swept. Yeah, I think so. I, I just okay. their defense is too porous. Uh, they're going to rely on Kevin Love to space the floor, but again, with Iguodala coming back, a healthy Durant, uh, you know Draymond Green playing playing defense at such a high level. I mean, where are they going to get their points for? They're going to give up a whole bunch of points. I, I think it's just look. I mean, the the biggest challenge to Golden State is Golden State. We saw them play poorly yes. for most of the series against Houston. We saw them play poorly for most of Game Seven, and all of a sudden they said, "You know what? Let's kind of turn it up a notch," and they do. And that's all it takes. All they need is one sliver, one crack in the foundation, and they're going to blast their way through and find a way to just explode offensively. That's all it takes when you have Steph Curry and Kevin Durant on the same roster. I'll say the I say I'll say the Cavs win one game because LeBron James will just do something crazy, like a fifty point triple double, and then the Warriors will just come out flat one day, and and the Warriors, the Warriors have a tendency to do that every so often, and LeBron has a tendency to just be dominant every single game. So I I will take some sort of co- combination of those two things and give Cleveland one of the wins. But this is going to be a gentlemanly sweep, and the Warriors are going to just walk their way into another NBA championship. Um, anything else? Before any other lingering thoughts about this uh, finals thing before we close it out? Do you think it's bad for the league? I will say this: the the conference finals were a lot of fun. I I agree. Agree. 100%. And I I know that this is. I think the way the sausage was made was kind of entertaining. But at the end of the day, we just got the same sausage we've been eating for the last four years. And that's not necessarily a bad thing either. I mean, look, I mean, I think for us, you and I, maybe uh, representing the, uh, the you know, one extreme of NBA fandom, we're going to appreciate whatever's out there. Um, it would have been in- also interesting. I mean, I was talking to a, a, a cas- not even a casual fan, really, and telling them like, Houston-Boston would have been an exciting matchup also because you don't know how how Boston will will you know ha- handle that kind of pressure of yeah. being in the finals and and the chance for James Harden and Chris Paul to win a ring et cetera would have been interesting you know I, I mean Cleveland, I was excited Cold about State. the idea for Houston Cleveland uh, yes, because then the here. Cavs would have had a realistic shot at a better winning chance and, and, better chance at least yes well certainly yeah better realistic whatever we want to say I mean it wouldn't have been what it is now so right. I yeah I was excited for that um, but at the end of the day I just Maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe you and I just appreciate the NBA too much, <laughs> and, I, and not enough people do. I can understand that if you're a casual fan, you're sick of this, 
And I don't I do know that you that are. That... I don't know that you are. I think again, if you're on the periphery, the names that you know best, Durant, Curry, LeBron, they're going to be there. And it's like, oh, okay, I know these guys. I saw them last June. That's cool. I mean, I, yeah, I don't I guess know I if you're listening more, to this show. I would be, I would be more. Um, I would be more likely to watch the World Series if the Yankees were in it because I know two of their players, and only because one of them used to play for the Marlins. That's, <laughs> I don't know anybody else that plays baseball. <laughs> that's all I know. <laughs> so maybe you're right. Uh, all right, well, that's all we have for today. You can subscribe to Locked on NBA on iTunes, your favorite podcast app. We'll be back next Tuesday. You can find us on Locked on Heat. In the meantime, John Corrales and Jake Madison got you on Locked on NBA tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes.